The year is 1973. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. thing and then i'll see that i say i'm zach but yeah like, mine mine is not even as big a spike as my talking is i feel like it's a really bad sign like we're gonna like the show's gonna be very low energy very low t <laughs> uh, yeah well speaking of which i thought we could start selling you know like male power supplements on the podcast i hear that's really big you know like no soy you know for beta boys this is pure bull testosterone for alpha boys so I love everything you're saying. I think we should call it Power Man Supplements. Oh, so yeah. I was going to say, how do we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm in. I will eat anything from a bowl. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get it going. Are we going? Are we? Is this the start? Oh, no. I mean, sure. Okay. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. I'm joined today on the horn by... The only man I would let spoil House of X for me and live to tell the tale, it's Zach Dean. Oh, hey, did I do that show, today, Zach. accidentally? Yeah, you totally did. You chatted me about what? House of X. I hadn't <laughs> read it yet. With your it, with your coming in, with your My Marvelous Year connections. It did. I, the, listen, I still haven't read it, so let's not get into it. Oh, I don't um, know if that's a spoil. I mean, that was like... I mean, it's not that, really, but it's a detail. Okay, I mean, only in the course of like, this is a general plot point that happens that is like the... I I have to be very careful out there these days. You can't even go on Twitter without the the conversation and X spoilers flying around everywhere. Yeah. So you you snuck it through in chat. I thought I thought I only had people I could trust. I was wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I was burned. Did you end up reading Marvel One Thousand today? Yeah. So let's talk about that first. (laughs) Just for real quick. This is my marvelous year. You're listening to a variant cover episode. My marvelous year is the show where we go through. Marvel Comics from its origins to today, year by year. With reading club lists, I've picked out all the essential stories in Marvel Comics history. We read them 10 stories at a time. And we our last two episodes, we covered 73, Part 1 and Part 2. Some really good comics. I think the 70s are heating up. Yeah, good great, stuff. great stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's been really good. And today we're going to answer some listener questions. We're going to add some new heroes and villains to the My Marvel This Year Heroes and Villains roster for those of us supporting us for those supporting us on patreon.com slash my marvel this year and uh and apparently initially oh and we'll talk about our poll we got a whole lot to do but we're also gonna talk about marvel comics 1000 because that came out today and we both read it yeah it's fine uh that's my hot take it's fine it's a cynical cash grab Gosh, you're coming in so hot yeah it's fine i mean did you love it like i thought like there were there were a couple moments where i thought like oh this is really fun like because it, it's how many it's 87 81 page stories yes so there i thought there would be two ways to look at Marvel Comics 1000. I thought it would be one, a cynical cash grab that I kind of couldn't get my head around like the marketing business, the whole Marvel editorial side of things where it's just like, why are you doing this kind of embarrassing, embarrassingly obvious attempt to replicate DC success with action yeah. Detective 1000, which actually got to 
<laughs> you know, 1,000th issues. Like, it's just kind of pitiful. Um, but then I thought, okay, the second way to look at it will be to actually analyze the story because there might actually be a cool story here. And they got tons of talented creators involved. Um, but then as it turned out, there were actually like two ways to split the story. <laughs> yeah. There's one, there's the Al Ewing written basically like event tease. Yeah, it's which... like a, a small little thread that they kind of pull through Marvel history that's clearly mm-hmm. just teasing for something coming in 2020 that honestly didn't, I don't know, like, was I missing context? Because I was like, I don't want to say anything about it, but it didn't, I don't know. It didn't like light a fire. It didn't make a ton me. of sense. <laughs> it didn't make a ton of sense. And it also yeah. just was like, oh, okay, that's a, that's happening, I guess. That's a thing. I don't know what that is. I don't. So let me, let me back up before I answer that first and say, for those of you who are truly like doing the My Marvelous Year Club and you're not reading current comics or anything, let me say, one, this isn't going to spoil anything about where contemporary no, comics no, no. are at talking about this comic that came out today and two the reason we talk about this i think is actually it's particularly relevant to my marvelous year as a club because marvel comics 1000 is going like year by year through marvel's history so it's an 80 page giant and like each ostensibly each page is one year of marvel comics history starting in 1939 and it kind of keeps to that kind of doesn't but it's kind of interesting for our purposes because like as they go through 61 62 63 etc it'll mention like a key happening that year and we've or covered a it lot mentions of like something that we talked about that we thought was like a weird little inside joke that only you and i noticed right mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh i mean we, you know we joked a lot about ferret from the golden age and it literally opens up with you know the the masked crime fighter ferret you know um, our golden age like prelude to my marvelous year helped my reading of marvel comics 1000 a ton. for sure me too I, <laughs> like a yeah, lot yeah yeah yeah, and then, uh, I mean, there's, like, a lot of little winks in there to stuff that we've talked about in the comic club, like Luke Cage getting his 200 bucks from Doctor Doom gets a little wink. Um, Which we just covered in, in one of the 73 episodes. Um, there's Mary Jane Can't Stop Go-Go Dancing. You sent me that Oh, panel, my God, which yeah. Which is really that funny. One's, that one's incredible. Yeah, they yeah. literally, like, someone says, like, stop that girl from Go-Go Dancing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it was only successful for me where it just was, like, fun little homages and references to past Marvel stuff. And the rest of it like felt self-serious and I couldn't care. But See, that's I, funny because I, I, I had like... totally the opposite reaction. So the, so it's one part Ewing doing this like deep dive through Marvel continuity and building like the history of what he's calling the eternity mask. And that's clearly going to lead to probably some Marvel event in 2020. They don't actually announce it here. And then there's like every, all the rest of the comic is just different creators doing like, yeah, homage celebration of Marvel history and that stuff I actually found really boring. <laughs> like, some some of it was I, like quite boring because it was literally like, hey, it's a page out of a Conan comic and it is just as boring as a Conan comic. Like yeah. that kind of thing. But then some of it was like, I don't know. I mean th- there were like probably... They aren't stories, I guess. No, is the no. Thing. Definitely they aren't not. like, oh, here's like an iconic one page story. They're just little like snippets yeah. of of Marvel history. Yeah, it's, a, it's an anthology and some work fine and some feel like uh, what's the word? Um, some feel just like yeah. I oh, will totally forgettable. And you know, I don't know. I like I'd say like eight to ten pages of this were like standout funny jokes, and that was mostly what's going to stick with me. Like that six panel thing about Hulk getting interviewed, and he just eats the microphone with Alex that, Ross art. Yeah, that was solid. That, that was, was very solid. Good. Like stuff like even that. That's like, just like even that's I just can't get it out of my head. Like they're asking people to pay ten bucks. For oh this? yeah, no, for sure. You know that, that's crazy. No, like that, there's that, a 1952 story written by Kieran Gillen, a writer I like a lot. And it's the year Journey into Mystery introduced. So they do, they bring in Gillen and they have him do a Loki story because he wrote a Loki run 
in Journey into Mystery in like 2011. And it's literally the same four words through four panels over and over. I'm like, talk about phoning it in. I yeah. mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know if there's a deeper meaning there I missed, but it's like, I just got absolutely nothing out of that. I will say, I like the Ewing stuff. I like this idea of him going into the Marvel Golden Age, going into Agents of Atlas, characters we haven't talked about yet in the club. Yeah, and maybe doing that's just why I didn't. Weird Marvel stuff. I like that, that a lot, actually. That might be why I didn't connect to it. I had no idea who any of those people were except for Jimmy Chu. Jimmy Woo. Jimmy Woo? I thought it was Jimmy Chu. Um, I mean, you would know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Woo, you, okay. woo would know. Jimmy oh, Woo. I stumbled. Stumbled on the joke. Um, yeah, anyway, I, regardless of what we liked, I just, I kind of hate that this comic exists. And I can't <laughs> shake it. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, it, it's crazy that it costs 10 bucks, and like, and they're clearly just trying to like, it's it's a big landmark that we fabricated to today. I don't mind for... them celebrating their 80th birthday. No, they should That's have fine. called it like Marvel Dude, 80 year celebration. Call I, it, I, yeah, call it Marvel Comics number 80. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you would have had a, a much like more level reaction towards it. If they just called it Marvel 80 year celebration, Marvel would... 80 and we're doing and we're doing 80 creators have been like, OK, yeah, I'll check that out. Probably, you know, yeah, like, yeah, why yeah. not? And then it would still be like a B, B minus comic, I think. Yeah, I just like, the cynicism with, with of the, the sales driven motive. It's like, I know you want to sell comics. Everybody here does. But boy, this is boy, this is a stretch. And then, yeah, like you said, it's like, I mean, I think you gave it like a B minus. I think that's kind of generous. Honestly, I'd give the Ewing stuff like a B because I'm interested in where it's going, because I'm a fan of the author, and everything else for me is like, I don't know, D plus, C minus? There's yeah. not a lot here that stands out in a particularly interesting way. Well, I mean, let's yeah, let, let's move on, because uh, probably most people here aren't going to be reading it. But I, I will say, I don't have that much more context for Marvel than anyone else in the club right now, if you're where we're mm-hmm. at. And basically, the only like big spoiler thing that happens that gets referenced in the comic is, uh, is Gwen Stacy dying. So, like... It's pretty it's pretty easy to jump into and read. I think there's like there's one little reference to something that happens in Thor in the eighties if you're sensitive. I didn't know that it happened, but I don't know. I, I besides that, it's kind of fun. I don't know. Yeah. Check it out if you're interested. It's not you're not gonna spoil yourself on the next forty years of Marvel Comics by doing it, I don't think. Yeah, I if if anything, it left me pretty confident that my Marvelous Year can uh we can keep our crown for best attempt. To go through Marvel year by year. Oh, this is this is not that. <laughs> <laughs> this is not that. No. Um, despite that being kind of the framework for the book. So okay. So that's a comic that came out today. I obviously have some hostility towards it. Um, and I probably won't be able to let that go anytime soon. So why don't you transition us while I while I rage over here and turn a little shade of green? Okay. Uh, we let's go to the poll on Patreon.com, and I think one of our more popular polls in a while. <laughs> Got a lot of discussion off this one, which is... Is this the X-Men one? Yeah, this is, if you're Professor X and a criminal made you choose one of your X-Men to kill, who would you choose? And I think some people approach this differently, like, try to really put themselves in Professor X's shoes and say, like, what would Professor X do? And some people just said, God, Cyclops is annoying. I'd kill him. Um, (laughs) And uh, so we've got, taken up last place, Jean Grey and Beast with only two votes each. So I think... uh, pretty popular like people don't generally have an axe to grind with gene gray I, i'm not surprised by gene gray i'm a little surprised by beast i kind of had the idea he's got the reputation of being like i don't know not a fan favorite and kind of obnoxious right like well, because of his i think current so there's different phases of beast definitely silver age beast is super annoying i think as we saw through x-men and like, also before bland. he turns blue yeah. he's annoying you know yeah it doesn't like, have that much to offer no, um, once he turns blue and becomes 
the bounce and bubbly beast of the Avengers uh, or like the 90s Shakespeare quote and beast. I think he's a then he's a real fan favorite. And then kind of present day without spoiling anything. He has made some questionable decisions, but I can <laughs> okay. see why they and Gene like who doesn't like Gene? Yeah, he's got an sure. extra grind with Gene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, except in the new Phoenix movie, but uh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I'm I'm fine. Um, and then I'm glad next, you're fine. Oh. I'm glad to hear that. Iceman, 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 the Iceman, the Iceman cometh in third place with seven votes, and that's not bad. Yeah, he was actually the lead for a little bit, and then it's shifted. Cyclops came up next with eight votes, and I think a lot of that was people just thinking he's annoying. And the number one most disposable member of the X Men, yeah, yeah, twenty votes is Angel. Yep, <laughs> clearly the one everyone wants to get rid of. And uh, I can't say I disagree. My my wife was like baffled by this because she thinks it's like stunningly obvious that Iceman is the one to go. <laughs> like, huh. Yeah, and I was like, no, he's, he's interesting. Why he's... Why does she think that? Because he's like the annoying little kid kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, and, and I, don't, I don't think she thinks Ice is interesting or, I don't know. <laughs> Not an Ice fan, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, she's a... Uh... She likes the liquid and gas states of matter. Yeah, okay. Solid, She's solid, big no. into sublimation, going straight to a gas. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, good. <laughs> That's a good, <laughs> good pull. Okay, I, I could see it. I, I'll admit something here. I actually voted. I don't usually vote. Actually, I never have voted before, but I voted for Angel here. It just felt right. I, I had to give... Yeah, I did. So I skewed these results slightly. Um, yeah, Angel, Angel, the only way they could make him like more interesting was to destroy him. <laughs> kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah. Uh, I have no idea what they're gonna do with him. I like have some vague idea that he's actually an angel, but like I don't know if that's true mm. or maybe he'll turn into an angel. I don't know. It, that seems like the very obvious and stupid idea, but maybe that makes him more interesting. No, we'll kind get of, there. Yeah, kind of the same idea where it's like I kind of feel like they're gonna say like Nightcrawler is a demon, and instead of just looking like one, which also seems boring. But so you I think like just knowing. Knowing, like, what, like, things you've heard on the periphery of comics, or just, like, you expect someone will try to do that story because it's bad? <laughs> Some <laughs> mixture of that. Like, I feel like it. I read yeah. that, but also maybe not. I don't know. So this is either, this might be a spoiler, but also I have remembered. I, I don't think. But you don't actually know. Yeah. No, I, I'll I, just, I don't I'll just know. say no comment. Because yeah. um, I do know, Zach. Yeah, and, and Cyclops I'm not, will I'm, lose one of his eyes me away that I can't point. say anything. Yeah. Actually, I mean, you're talking about the one eye Cyclops phase. Let's not spoil that. (laughs) Is that actually real? I just made, I mean, that one I definitely just made up because it just sounds like some dumb thing. When his eyes converge and he only has one eye, you haven't seen these images floating around? Yeah. Yeah. That's classic psych. Okay. Um, Let's let's read some letters. We got some good questions here. I'm going to condense some of these down because we got some really long letters. So our first letter is from Glenn Kalba. He says, uh, hey, I thought 1973 was an interesting year in the Marvel Universe for a couple reasons. Number one being the death of Gwen Stacy. Um, I think that's fair to say. I think it was cool, very cool that Marvel never backed themselves out of it. I know they played with the idea of blank and blank in the future. I'm bleeping those for spoilers. But at least to my knowledge, the true main continuity, Gwen has remained dead, which obviously has huge implications for the life of Peter Parker, which becomes very interesting. In contrast to this, we see big crossover events this year in Avengers Defenders War, which is hyped up to be the biggest event in Marvel history, but in the end seems rather pointless. He kind of goes on to talk about how, like, by the end of the Avengers Defender War, the status quo is reasserted specifically with, like, Thor removing... Or Thor. Doctor Strange removing Thor and Iron Man's memory about their secret identities and everything kind of just resets. 
I, for one, prefer when the stones... That's a pretty and... common event complaint, I would yeah, jump well, in to well, say. No, here, here today. he's going to ask about it, and we'll, we can talk oh, about it. Oh, he's going to say it. Okay. I, for one, prefer when the stories end up having true consequences and change the lives of our heroes in significant ways, and I'm sure there'll be more of both of these types of changes and illusions as we change back illusions of change as we move into bigger crossover events in the future curious on your takes on this do you enjoy big events that result in huge changes or are you okay with the big fun stories that end us back in the place that they started so there's Uh, a great chance we've talked about this but the illusion of change is like a coined it's definitely attributed to stanley i don't know if he's actually the first one to say it but the illusion of change is a coined marvel phrase and this idea that you tell a story that gives the perception of big dramatic change but right. at the end of the day, it is an illusion. You know, things do come back. So I think that is definitely something that Marvel and, and really superhero comics in general, especially ones with a history like this, have to sort of battle against. Um, I think we're at a point in time, and I know I am as a fan, that I'm I'm way more into actual change than, or at least commitment to like a sustained change than I am to this really false illusion. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, if an event goes eight issues and everything just resets like that, right right back where it was, that's actually very disappointing to me. The stuff that I find most interesting is when, for example, what's happening with X-Men right now, with, without spoiling any details, it feels like a big momentous shift. And that is extremely exciting. Um, and it might, it might be three years and then we're back, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, but at know? least that's like three years of new stories in that That's a new, lot of comics that new yeah. world right yeah I, I definitely get what you're saying where like well I, I don't know avengers defenders war didn't seem like it was trying to shake up the status quo to me that much so like i, I don't think that i didn't have that concept going in that this is going to change i was like a little annoyed that they reset the secret identity thing because it just felt like oh finally like we can do away with this because it doesn't actually matter and it just felt yeah i don't know it felt like they were just being fussy by putting it back on but I, I think I generally agree I because I, I mean, this is the thing where, like, I think good stories generally have endings, right? Like, I've always yeah. hated that from the beginning, um, what's the Walking Dead guy? Um, Rick Grimes? No, the, the author of The Walking Dead. Um, Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman, like, right at the beginning of the introduction of his first trade says, like, I always hate that zombie movies end some point because the zombie apocalypse still goes on and we just, you know, don't see it. So I want The Walking Dead to never end. And then, I mean, of course, he just ended it out of the blue. But Spoilers. Like, I, well, I mean, it's, he ended the comic. He didn't, I didn't say what happened. Uh, okay. I don't know what happened. Zombies. He, um, yeah, I hate that because it's just like, I don't know, it's not, you, you can't build anything. You can't, I don't know, like a good story has a, a building to it that like climaxes in something right that you have an end to it you have a closure you have a catharsis you have something um but at the same time you kind of as a superhero comic fan just need to swallow that that is the reality of the situation that if you want to see these characters for 80 years like very little is going to actually change about them yeah the concept of endings in comics in general is a tricky one because i actually think i don't know sometimes it's a really good thing for things to end like there are oh yeah I think, I think a lot of stories should end and I, I think we see this a lot too today with like some media some entertainment it's good that it ended like it was good that arrested development ended and then it came back there's so much stuff that comes back that doesn't need to and i think there's a lot of and this is a different scenario you know than what that i'm talking about here but mm-hmm. like if you can tell 30 great issues of a comic oh my God. and have if, it end when i that's see- great 
when I see that a series is 30 issues long and they planned it from the beginning to be 30 issues, like I start yeah. salivating. Like that's yeah. 30 or 60 is like the magic number that just like gets me so interested in reading a comic, especially if that was the plan. Like I know that Chu, one of my favorite comics, said like right at the beginning, we're doing 60 issues. That's it. Yep. And I, I think too, like there's a lot of appeal right now, especially in 12 issue minis. So like 12 issue maxi series, um, I think particularly of like Tom King, the author doing Mr. Miracle, for example, and you know, this is a 12 issue story and that's it. And that, that I'll like add that to my pull list almost without thinking a lot of times, because I'm like, I know I'm getting a complete story and that's extremely appealing. That said, I'm definitely talking about both sides of my mouth on this one because things like Chris Claremont writing Uncanny X-Men from 1975 to 1991 is one of the coolest feats in comics. I love oh, sure. it. Yeah. But there's a run. Like, I love the idea, and I think a lot of people now are lamenting the lack of runs that extend that long. I think you made the observation in the Slack, maybe, um, that like every new comic added, like nothing is past issue four in Marvel Unlimited recently. This, this week I looked on Marvel Unlimited, and it was like, 80% of the new issues hadn't reached issue 10 yet. Like, and I think that's kind of disappointing. That's wild, a numbering yeah. thing, and, and we're going on tangents and stuff, but like, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of disappointing. You know, I actually do like when when Marvel Comics are on that crazy long sustained run. So my answer here is, I guess it depends yeah. on on the creative vision and on the storytelling. Well, let, let's sit, break it down, because I think, I think part of the issue is that these comics want to, fr I think this is a more modern concern, that the comics want to frame themselves as making big drastic changes. The death of characters, right? That's the like, the trope. That's the joke is that like, of course, Cyclops or Wolverine or Jean Grey. I don't even, I mean, I kind of know some of them die, but I'm not positive. So this, again, this is not exact spoilers. Um, but like, it's pretty safe to assume at some point that most every character you know. Most X-Men will get killed. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And then come back. Because, of course, right? Like we Because that's a comic thing, yeah. We've had this with Norman Osborn. He's dead, but he's coming back. Like, I know that... Well, we haven't had him come back. I know he hasn't come back, but, like, I don't know. I mean, people know that the Green Goblin still is around and didn't stop being the villain in the 70s. So I, I feel safe spoiling that. Because I don't know okay. how he comes back. Um, but, like, that is a little more frustrating to me. Um, I, yeah, I don't mind the kind of sustained storytelling as long as it doesn't feel like they're just trying to like, you know, get, get a cheap thrill out of the illusion of change. Right. Like, um, you know, like pulling some big twist that seems like, wow, how are they ever going to deal with this? And then, you know, and then not dealing with it and not dealing with it or, you know, yeah, I mean, it, this is the MCU did this. The end of civil war felt like, wow, Captain America and Iron Man are seriously split. The Avengers are in jail. Like, how is this ever going to get resolved in the next movie? And then the next movie hand-waved it away with like a five-minute scene and kind of did not deal with it and didn't really resolve it except off-screen. Yeah, yeah, um, I know what you mean. I know yeah, what you mean. I, I love that movie, but that that's like one of the most frustrating moments of the MCU for me. It's just that like it's about the big moment and not following through on it. Yeah, I think that's one of comics' strengths is that they can follow through on that stuff. Because generally speaking, they have the time to. Um, yeah, but it, it sure. definitely does depend. Not all series are great at doing that. I mean, I think about like, if you think about, for example, the com direct comparison there from Civil War is when it happens in the Marvel Universe in the 2000s, the next several years, like that is the state of the Marvel Universe. You know what I mean? So there yeah. are, whether you like it or not, whether you think the comics are good, it's definitely a reaction to that change. I think that type of stuff helps a lot. Um, 
I'm trying to think of a bad example. I'm trying to think of a an illusion of change type book where it's like everything that happened just didn't matter. It's hard to do without spoiling stuff. Yeah, so we, have, we haven't hit it too much here. I mean, Professor X has already died once, but then not really, right? So like, <laughs> I think that's going to be a reoccurring trope here. Yeah, you us. know what'll be interesting is to keep an eye out for is like, what is the first, what's the first instance of this where we kind of hit it hard? Yeah, in Marvel yeah, yeah, sure. Because we definitely haven't. I mean, I know like you're referencing Avengers Defenders War here, but that's a pretty minor uh, use of, of the illusion of change. I'm curious as we go, what's the one where we're going to be like, oh, they kind of just did away with that huge thing. Um, yeah, here's a big, not, here's a big shifting sure. of the status quo that six months later, we'll never look at again. Yeah, totally. You know what I think the something I just thought of that I think is the interesting counterpoint to this is authors who instead of trying to like instead of trying to change the status quo in a negative way by like, you know, killing a character or drastically shifting the the board of like, you know, I don't know, mutants are now outlawed or Spider-Man is on the run or, you know, whatever, some kind of like big shift or a character. They just mm-hmm. add stuff. I think that maybe that might explain something to do with like why super why there's so many superheroes and so many villains. Because the only way you can add to the status quo without really needing to just like patch it up later is just to add a new character. Um, I think there's probably something to that that like that becomes the go-to move instead of trying to like tell deeper stories about the characters you already have. Authors might flock to just like I mean because how many completely forgettable villains are there, and you know, instead of trying to build up the ones we have, they just introduce a whole new roster of idiots that we never care about. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's something to that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's possible. Yeah, we'll 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 look at this as we go on. Um, let's let's go on to the next letter. I think. Oh, thanks, Glenn. That was a good question. Yeah, it's a really good question. Do you wanna do you wanna read the one from Rose? I would love to. Rose writes us and says, so. When talking about the love triangle between the Human Torch, Quicksilver, and Crystal, Dave made a comment about how Crystal just seems to fall in love with these guys at first sight, which I would argue is not true for her, but for the boys. When Johnny first sees Crystal, he chases her around, and she does not want anything to do with him. And when Quicksilver wakes up, she is there, and he is instantly head over heels for her, where she has been helping him heal over time, giving her more face time with him, albeit while he was unconscious. If anyone has love at first sight syndrome, it is those boys. Crystal definitely takes her time with it, but knows what the heart wants and follows it. I think, uh, I think I agree. I think, yeah. I think what I was, yeah, yeah I don't Dave. know exactly what I said, but clearly what I meant, no, no, I, I think actually what I meant was her power is love at first sight. Like people fall in love with her at first sight. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. This is right? a good way to evade criticism of your, uh. Well, it wouldn't be worldview. it wouldn't be much of a power if she just inflicted it on herself, don't you think? No, it's fine. Just keep uh, you know weasel out of any criticism from the the, the first female who's written into the. Sh- That's not true, but the only, the only recurring female <laughs> commenter we have that that is true. Um, yeah, no, thanks for the letter. I I think I I think I totally agree. You're right. Like Johnny's Johnny's reaction in Fantastic Four is horrifying. Is, well, it's horrifying, but it's also way more um, flighty and emotional and and sort of critical words that would get thrown towards like women characters of that written in that era. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And definitely, like you would call the cops on him immediately. Like, oh, he's very stalkery. Yeah, yeah. God, I I mean that's one of my favorite lines of just like. I can't remember. You're too beautiful to hide in an alley as he chases her into an alley. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
things not to yell in okay. uh, in busy city. So, uh, yeah, so the clear answer here is you're 100% correct. And if anyone calls us on anything, I will backpedal furiously and agree with you 100% <laughs> of the time. Yeah, thanks, Rose. Um, okay, this is from Peter Parsons, a.k.a. the Colossal Chick Man. He writes, hey, Dave and Zach, there's a couple things I want to talk about this year. For starters, I, like many others, others I'm sure, entered this club with limited comic knowledge, but a decent familiarity with Marvel through other media. Uh, in particular, many of these characters I was first exposed to in the MCU has been excited to see them, each of them debut in the comics as they came around. He talks a lot about like some of the differences, specifics. I'm not going to go into it because <laughs> there's a lot here. Um, but he talks about how uh, wondering why the characters are so different, if it's the MCU taking influence from later comics, if comics then influence the MCU, or if the MCU influences comics, if it's the Ultimates influencing the MCU. Um, mm -hmm. And then also, like, which characters are better in the movies than their comic inspiration and vice versa. So uh, let's get into that a little bit. You've talked about this a bit, that, like, the comics start adapting to the MCU. Like, the Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, is the big one, right? Oh, definitely. So, like current state because the mcu is so big there's oodles and oodles and we i think i even have an article on comic book herald about this of um ways the mcu has influenced characters as we understand them so like yeah guardians are a clear example like everything from the roster to design to attitude um iron man probably the biggest example of a character that robert Downey jr's personification of tony stark became so prevalent and so popular and so widely beloved that that is now the character and the voice that you hear from everywhere from like animated media to the actual comics themselves. Whereas if you read, and I should say when we read in the 2000s, like New Avengers, like, and, and even Iron Man comics we're reading currently, that's not Tony Stark. <laughs> like, it's just not. It's a cool no, interpretation. Yeah. I mean, that that's not how he plays. That cockiness is the, the big thing that's missing, right? Yeah. That cockiness and that like drive for invention. Well, and that humor, frankly. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so in terms of why there are differences, I think, one, I do think the comics adaptations are more particular to, uh, a lot of them are particular to the Ultimate Universe, the Marvel Ultimate Universe that launched in 2000, and we will be doing potentially a Marvel Ultimate Universe Club is kind of a spinoff of my Marvel this year, uh, should we hit that goal on Patreon, but like those, those characters and those sort of modern reinterpretations, you can see the influence on the MCU very clearly. Uh, in a lot of different ways, not yeah, exclusively. Sure. Like it's not the only thing. Like Captain America, I would say is not is at a much all healthier like his... blend yeah. of real or not real, but Earth six one six. What we're reading, Marvel timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely not like the the ultimate version much at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I I'm trying to think. We may have talked about this in some capacity. Generally speaking, I prefer comics to everything in my life. Um, but definitely, like I prefer the comics interpretation to the MCU interpretation and the MCU versions of characters that I'm going to enjoy the most are the ones that most uh, most like wholly represent what it is I liked about the character to begin with you know so like Spider-Man in high school in, in the way Tom Holland portrays him makes me think a lot of Spider-Man comics I've enjoyed from Stanley and Steve Ditko on through you know Bendis Bagley Ultimate Universe well also Miles Morales I, I've kind of heard this a bunch lately that like they really kind of took the personality of Miles Morales and slapped it onto the Tom Holland version to a degree. Like, oh. Hey, what, what do you think about that take? Uh, I hadn't really considered that as much because to me it feels very much like the Ultimate Universe Peter Parker. 
um, where he is more closely connected to Shield, uh, Nick Fury, and well, no, he's I mean, more. That's the, but personality-wise, because I th- I think there's something to like. Peter Parker is more of a science nerd, but he's not really in the the movies. Like he is, but he's not kind of an outcast nerd. Like that boy's way too handsome for that. So they like he's way too charming and funny mm. in a way that like Miles is like charming but awkward, right? Like he kind of you know stumbles over his feet, but like is generally kind of a like you know he's he's got friends right and he's got like a diverse friend group whereas peter parker like struggles socially all the time see i don't think i think the thing i would disagree with there is the idea that any spider-man media has committed to that much beyond early toby Maguire and spider-man one yes that that actually was something i saw like specifically they were like toby Maguire's stuck that so much like they were sticking to that I mean, it was hard being like, a forty-two-year-old man in exa- high school. They, yeah, they 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 said that they're like it was in the nineties. Who's 90s, stealing all my jokes? Tell me. That, I don't know. I can't remember. It was Twitter or something? But like, <laughs> someone was like, "It's the nineties, but Tobey Maguire is clearly playing a teenager from the sixties." Yeah. Right? Like, and that is, you know, I I don't know how much I hold that belief. Like, I haven't read that much Miles to hold that. I just thought that was an interesting perspective. Yeah, I don't. Um, I haven't seen that. I mean, they, they I definitely considered stole that his best friend, right? They literally <laughs> stole his best friend, which is still, the, <laughs> I would still argue the strangest thing the Marvel Cinematic Universe has ever done and possibly will ever do. It is so weird that yeah. that was what they did with, with Ned Leeds. Um, is, there, is there any, so is there, there's no one that the MCU version you think is more interesting than the comic version. Mantis? Like, we're reading Mantis right now in 70. No, definitely you think not. the comic Mantis is more interesting? Hard no. Hard no on MCU Mantis. Um, oh, I love the MCU Mantis. She like She's kind of my like secret favorite of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. No kidding. Like, yeah, she, I think she, the, the second time I watched it, she, I was like, oh, she's really funny. Like, that, yeah. that character, that actress is really funny. Anyway. So I would say Ragnarok Thor, maybe. Um, okay. That's an angle the comics really have never done. Right, yeah. And have never done that successfully. I think that's probably option number one. Uh I'm sure there are others that have happened, but that's the first one that comes to mind. I think otherwise, no. <laughs> I think unless you say uh, one that I that makes sense. I I don't love these movies. I think they're okay and they're fun for what they are. But mm-hmm. I like Dead the Deadpool movies a lot more than any Deadpool comic I've ever mm. read. That's an interesting pick. I've never read a Deadpool comic that I didn't think was a little obnoxious. Like Deadpool's a tough um, one. Actually. Yeah, like he. Uh, he almost never works for me in the comics i i want to read those you are deadpool things i heard those are fun that's but, one of my favorite uh, comics of the last couple of yeah. years so I, I, uh, I haven't although read, less like, about deadpool than it is about just the way that comic is constructed yeah um yeah have you read cable and deadpool 2000s run i've never We're read a cable comic ever oh that's right you don't know anything about about that um yeah yeah no those are fun too but i don't but it is one of the things too where i'm like I don't know if I'll think that's as funny, you know, as an old man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were two Deadpool pages in Marvel 1000, and both mm-hmm. of them I was like, eh, this is fine. Probably could have put Sue Storm in this book instead, though. <laughs> like once? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is Reed so, even in this comic? Reed How is in is like that? one panel where they have, uh, they're at, like the interview. There's that interview where they ask them, like, what's your greatest regret? And he's like, that time I miscalculated the tachyon drive. That's bizarre that he yeah, gets, was... that the leader of the Fantastic Four, really the team as a whole, gets a panel. Ben, ben Grimm gets a couple more. He gets a few solo stories. I think Ben Grimm gets his due in there, and he's the only yeah. Fantastic Four member that does. They're not even on the cover. That was the wildest part to me is that, like, the cover had Squirrel Girl, but not fantastic four on it 
Just like, yeah. I mean, nothing Shameful. against Squirrel Girl, but just No, I like Squirrel Girl, but come yeah. on. First family. Okay, uh, Peter continues here. Uh, I want to talk about Panther's Rage a bit. I'll open by saying it's been a great read so far, committing to using the Panther's absence as a major plot point and forcing the absentee king to deal with the consequences of being away, both in terms of the violent uprisings by Killmonger... As well as his dissension among his own loyal advisors is one of the best and most compelling stories we've seen told. And a great way to keep but improve upon earlier questionable continuity. That is a big sentence, Peter. <laughs> um, he, let's see, he talks about a couple pages he really liked. Um, he specifically wants to ask about, during Panther's Rage, the technological aspect of Wakanda seems downplayed a little bit from what we saw in Fantastic Four. Because in Fantastic Four, it was like, the trees are made of computers. And then in Panther's Rage, that really doesn't get brought up except in that, like, there's vibranium underneath the country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So he, he says, like, will that come up more as the series progresses? Do we have to wait for a later arc for this? When does this become, like, fully realized? Still I don't to be remember you, technology Peter. playing a huge role in Wakanda at this point in time. Uh, a lot of that could just be memory. I think you've probably read it a little more recently than i have so you can tell me if moving forward if um if that the changes Christopher priest run oh i oh it comes back into into marvel comics i'm talking about specifically the rage of the panther oh we, we read it at the same Buckley time run i haven't okay. read any um, more than i don't know read. that it comes back in the 70s in a big way honestly i think it's more about like wakanda is this lived in place uh outside of the capital city you know we spend a lot of time yeah. out in villages where that technology would not be prevalent uh but in in Future days, you can definitely look for that. I, like, I think when, the biggest win, like, I would say, yeah, the 90s is when we're going to read the most Black Panther again after this. Yeah, I think the like the biggest thing that sets Wakanda out on its own as a like fantasy African country is that it's untouched by colonization. I think that like is kind of clear from the way that things things are run there, right? Like this seems like a country that was allowed to, you know, build and flourish on its own terms um, without like outside intervention by design uh, and, as well be, yeah and because it had its own economy based on vibranium as well right yeah so um yeah yeah very interesting thanks peter good questions uh let's get into our heroes and villains and let me call out some of our beautiful heroes and villains in the club if we you want nice your own club, hero though. yeah i know i it's pretty built up i'm surprised if you want your own hero or villain head over to patreon.com for that uh, let's see, we've got Dan Heath, the Terrible Toffiend, Stephen Taylor, the Naysayer, Peter Parsons, the Colossal Chick Man, Keith Bartley, Screenshot, Chris Cantabell, Lalo Lacrozzi, CJ Petrus, the Backup General Leader, Kurt Matzenbacher, and Aaron Killingsworth, the Reflector and Overwhelm, Ben Grieving, the Laughing Knight, Kent Barry Guarana, the Silent Knight, Chris Enger, Boy Captain of the Nitwits, Johannes Cutter, Tiny Vampire, Kyle Garzon, the Blue Flamingo, Jorg Eitner, Son of Son of God. Is that what we landed on? The Son of or, Son of God, yeah. I think I think that was pretty good. Okay. Zero that right. or the Godson. Man, yeah, we have a, quite the roster here. It's gonna it's getting into a long list. So thank you all. Uh, and we've got a couple new ones today, as well as an update on one of the heroes. Let's start with the update. Thanks for the support over on Patreon. Who do you want to update first? The Laughing Knight or yeah. one of yours? Yeah, let's do yours. Let's do the Laughing Knight. Okay. So I'm updating The Laughing Knight. This is Ben Grieving. And as you will all remember, last time we talked about Ben, he was in the middle of a paintball game, and he was suddenly transported back in time, medieval times. And basically, he was, he w- was you know, encountered by a group of sort of, um, not muggers, what do you call muggers in medieval times? 
rogues, brigands. rapscallions, brigands. brigands. There you go, brigands. And uh, they were, you know, going to going to do something to him that he would not like. And he had a paintball gun, and he splattered them, and they all broke into laughter, and he got the name the Laughing Knight. And he kind of is able to sustain himself in the society through the magic, the seeming magic of this paintball gun. But again, as we all know, this thing can't actually protect him particularly well. So what I'm going to tell you now is the last story of The Laughing Knight. We are going to jump 40 years into the future. The Laughing Knight is now an older man. He is still living in medieval times. He's in a hut out in the woods, and he is living off the land. He has some sheep, a few cows, and uh, a couple years of corn, we'll say. And he is basically a farmer living by himself. A man, a young man, a squire even, runs into his hut and says, Ben, sir, Sir Ben, they found it. And Ben says, I'm done with that. I'm done, you hear me? And the squire says, but sir, she has it. And Ben turns and says, no way, Jose. And they leave and they go to get (laughs) Okay. His paintball gun has been Uh found. He's been missing it for years. Now that's a tale to be told another time. But Ben has been living in the society, hiding away in medieval times. And actually what the squire tells him on the walk is not only have they found where the paintball gun is, but they found a mysterious um, sort of robotic vehicle that may or may not allow him a chance to travel back home. So Ben goes on a journey with okay. this squire to find a way home. He's been trying, like, he doesn't know how to time travel. Right? What's that? It's not another Etch-a-Sketch, right? Well, they haven't found it yet. Oh, okay. I, I kind of feel like sometimes you... Uh... You like look for inspiration. I can just see you like scanning your office for like, yeah. And it looks like a uh, a series of superhero Funko Pops. Yeah, yeah one thing uh, one yeah. thing people don't know about my office is wall to wall etch sketches <laughs> and Funko Pops. Yeah, yeah, and, and Funkos. Oh boy, I actually don't have a single Funko. Um, I'm looking at six right now. Like, what are you talking about? What is that flash behind you? That's a stuffed flash that I won at Dave and Buster's for my son. <laughs> that you display in your office. <laughs> he loves it there. It's where he wants it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Please. So he goes on the quest with his squire, and on the way there, uh, they both get malaria and die. And that is the last story of The Laughing Knight. But there's much more to be told <laughs> before we get to that about? point. That can't. It was the I... death of The Laughing Knight, it was a stealth death of issue. I genuinely think you just made that up right now. I I take great offense at that <laughs> implication. Okay, this this better have payoff. There better be something to this. You need to like you need to write something good for his next update cuz that is so anticlimactic. I'm what so are you talking sorry, about? That was a great story. Yeah, he died just like 90% of peasants from the rest of this time era. He survived for 40 years in medieval times. That's incredible. Okay. Congratulations, Ben. <laughs> God, okay. Um, I will refund your Patreon money this month, Ben. Thank you for your patience. What? Um, <laughs> God. Okay. Any Anything else to add? <laughs> I can't believe you did that. Anything else for his story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Oh, I mean, what What else could What else could there be? Just got a pretty long a story. perfectly composed story, yeah. Fine, okay. fine, fine. Okay, he didn't die of malaria, I guess. Apparently, that's a problem. But uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> their quest continues, and Zach and Ben and the squire 
they go and they find uh, this woman that Ben had fallen in love with. Of course, this is a tale for another time, but they find that she has found the paintball gun. And at this point, it has Ben's name carved into it. It says Ben Grieving on the side of the gun. So everyone knows where it's been. This gun's been around. Let me tell you, there's a lot of tales to be told about the paintball gun. But this woman has now used it to ascend to queen of the realm. Again, there's great power in the magic of this weaponry. So Ben, just in order to see her. I have a question. He has to go through castle security. What's your question? How big's that hopper? What? How big's the hopper? I don't get it. That's what the uh, that's where you, what you hold the paintballs in on a paintball gun. The big like oh okay extension of it because it's like for years like it must be a big hopper to hold enough paintball to rain for years. It's out of its original paint. I'll just say that. Okay. Oh, interesting. All right. Okay. Okay. So now he needs to win the paintball gun back from this evil queen. Yes. And he gets to the gates. She, of course, has animosity towards him because their romance did not end well. And she tells him, you can have the gun back and I will show you where we found this magical etch I mean, time travel. I mean, uh, robotic machine. Funko that we don't Pop. Understand. Uh, I mean, uh... <laughs> but she says, you must win the final tournament of knights. There will be 24 knights. We will host a great battle throughout the realms. And Ben has to compete and win in order to potentially find his way back to Earth. And again, I've said this will be the last tale of the Laughing Knight. There are, of course, 40 years of history, Zach, that I can also do updates with. So had he died of malaria, it would have been fine. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. That, that's that's a all much more... for now. That was yeah, very long. A... Yeah, that was quite long. Uh, okay. I've got such a good quick one. I'm so proud of this one. Okay. So this one is for Andrew. And... His character exists at the time that we are reading the comics. Uh, it is 1973. He is a French baker, and he is quite the sleazy baker. Mm. So when you uh, when you get a baker's dozen of his pastries, guess how many are in there? That dirty dog. Ten? Twelve. Only twelve in a oh. baker's dozen. Yeah. He promises a hundred laminations in his croissants. Guess how many? Seventy. That means nothing. Okay. <laughs> um, and and uh, he was starting to get a bad reputation. But finally, one day, he was arrested for making Italian meringue and passing it off as French meringue. Gosh, so something this guy. The, the, this the guy. French just can't abide. And yeah. he was sentenced to be executed. Wow. Yep. Yeah, they take their meringue seriously. So, Took him to the baguette, man. Yep. He uh, He's led to the guillotine in Town Square in 1973. Because, as we all know, France continued to execute people by guillotine until 1977. Isn't that the wildest fact? Um, Yeah. So he's led to the town square by guillotine. He's walked up to the platform and storm clouds start brewing overhead. And uh, the Undertaker puts his head through the the slot. And And, and a quick detail here. This is the Undertaker. Oh, yeah. yeah, In full makeup, long black hair. Yeah, he's a teenager at this point. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no, this was uh, this was his. A lot of people gig. don't know he tried to find himself in Europe before he came back to the states <laughs> to become a wrestler by by beheading people, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's why he's so good at wrestling. Um, yeah. I don't know what that means, but he uh, so storm clouds brewing just as he pulls the rope and the blade begins to drop. Lightning crashes down, strikes the guillotine blade in the moment before it severs his head. A big flash. Blasts the crowd backwards. The the platform explodes, and when uh, when Andrew's character comes to, there's two of him. He's been split Ooh. in half, but not not his head and his body. There's just literally like two of him. But something's weird. 
He's only about three feet tall. And okay. he, uh, these, short, these short. two like go to run in panic. They run, bounce into each other, and recombine into a full version. He realizes uh. he now has the power to split into several different versions of himself. This mm-hmm. You might be saying, hmm, this sounds like 1975 Part 1's episode of Madrox the Multiple Man. And you'd be correct. Yes, I except, was thinking that. Except my little twist on this is that he retains the same mass every time he splits. So... If he splits down by, let's say he weighs like 180 pounds, uh-huh. he splits in two, you got two 90-pound men. He splits oh, in four, okay. you got four 45-pound men. Yep. You know, he splits down 10 ways, you've got like 10 tiny little 18-pound characters running around, and he can Multiple continually Multiple man split. meets Ant-Man. Yeah, Special yeah, so here. he can form a tiny little army of himself. So I think that's, Gosh, that's you love of tiny armies. Useful. And he uses this to uh, infiltrate other bakeries and steal their secrets. His villain name... Jacques Split. <laughs> I love the fervor with which you hit that Jacques. Yeah. Oh, I was so proud of that name. The uh, the tag the very bad tagline for his movie poster is "You've heard of Jack Spratt, now Jacques Split." Very good. Which doesn't love mean it. anything. It. it has nothing to do with Jack Sprite, but uh, Jack Sprite is quite different, actually. Yeah, That's I meant Jack Sprite. He was hoping no one would notice. Thank you. Yeah, no, he leaves the syrup out of every uh, every refill machine that he works on. That's Jack Sprite. That guy I, I sucks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Tell me tell me about uh, Eric Hodges. Eric Hodges is a new entry in the My Marvelous Year universe. Thanks for your support, Eric. I promise you will not die of malaria yet. It's still time. Mm-hmm. So Eric, he was a high school football player, and he was quite good. He was a running back playing on his football team, and he has a game one night. There were rumors that the opposing team, there was something fishy about him. Okay, there were kind of rumors that like maybe there were some weird goings on in those schools. Plus, they're just a hated rival, you know, one of those things. So it's kind of like uh, you making up stories about them. They like to pee on their hands before they play, that sort of thing, you know. And yeah, uh, just that normal rumor that you say about other people. What? You clearly never played against a high hands. rival. <laughs> yeah, you call them pee hands the whole game. It's great. Um, wait, wait. So he's I, playing. I'm sorry. This is. So off topic, but this is one of the best stories I have, and I need to tell it really quickly, which okay. is that I have a friend who pees on his hands constantly. Told me that <laughs> growing up, his mother would refer to their feet as cold shit hooks. <laughs> <laughs> and he grew up thinking that this was a normal phrase for feet. So she would say stuff like, get those cold shit hooks off the bed, meaning yeah. like their dirty feet. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until he was like 15 or 16 that he realized that like until he said it in passing to high school friends that mm-hmm. that is not a normal phrase for <laughs> feet. That <laughs> is completely wild. Incredible. What a good. Yeah. Good, sorry. P hands really reminded me of that. And I thought the world deserved to know. That's really good. No, that's one of the other rumors that were spread about this high school football team. But um, so they're playing their game. And as they're playing, Eric's having a pretty good game. He's rushed for like 85 yards in the first half, you know, a couple TDs. And uh, things are going well, but he notices as some of the guys tackling him, you know, you're getting in pile, you're getting close to these guys. He notices like two tiny little puncture marks on a few of these guys' necks. You know, very tiny, though. We're talking like Stinking almost imperceptible. You would only notice them if you're, you know, being tackled by someone and they're laying on top of you at the bottom of a pile. So this is going on, and he gets, um, at one point, he gets tackled so hard, his brain rattles in his skull, and he gets a concussion. Okay? Okay. And he goes to the hospital, and he... You know, he's kind of like, what, what is happening? Like, what, how did I get this? Where am I? You know, all the concussion protocol stuff. And 
basically they tell him like your football career is over and not only that we need to do emergency surgery and the only place we can do it is at the hospital closest to this rival high school so they rush him over there they go to do the surgery and as he's being rushed there he can't tell if it's real or not but there's two tiny puncture marks on his arm okay okay they take him to the hospital this doctor looks fishy but whatever he's got a concussion yeah well i mean everyone on. everyone knows that the you know the the doctors in the rival town they pee on their hands as well so you know, you, you don't trust an out-of-town doctor because they got yeah, pee hands. Right. No, very dirty, very, very unclean. Um, but the surgery is performed. They show him the next day or like once his concussion is kind of clearing up, they show him what had happened. And this doctor says, listen, a couple things happened. One, you had a concussion. Two, you were bit by a tiny vampire. A little crossover with the My Marvelous <gasps> Year universe. <laughs> how, did, how does the doctor know about the My Marvelous Year universe? Okay. And the doctor says, we've been having tiny vampire problems in this area for years now it's been going on constantly this is like a epidemic and listen this cannot get out but because we had this opportunity to perform surgery on your brain we need your help listen i'm not actually a doctor here i am part of a monster hunting society and we put <gasps> half of your brain encased in silver in order so that you can help us now that your football career is over help us fight monsters and eric is completely bewildered by all this but basically is like these guys ruined my life i'm gonna take to monster hunting instantly he gets into the seedy underbelly of the monster world here in the my marvelous year universe his head he is now known (laughs) as the hero monster hunter as the silver cerebellum Ooh, that's a good name i like that yeah does this like his head just naturally lilt to one side because it's <laughs> kind of heavy over there. Very heavy right side. And I think, so another detail I wanted to add here, it's only the right side, which, tell me if I'm wrong here, which which half of the brain is all like the creativity That's and emotion? mostly nonsense, but yes, the right side. Let's go with the nonsense that I know. The yeah. right side yeah, yeah. is all, so because that side is encased in silver, the left side's basically non-functional. So his like practicality and mathematics are kind of out the window, but his emotion and his creativity, wait, so he's wait, a monster wait, hunter are you who is because like- his like corpus callosum has been severed? Yeah, corpus I'm talking callosum? pure corpus callosum here. I'm talking amygdala fear rage. No, And okay. he is going hard <laughs> after these monsters with a fervor, with a passion that you don't often see. In Monster Hunter. So, welcome Silver Cerebellum to the MMY Club. Oh, pretty cool. I like it. Okay, I saved what I think is the best and weirdest, I wouldn't even say hero or villain, uh, force of nature <laughs> for last here. This is from Austin Hurling, a, uh, a regular in the Slack. Okay, where do I even start? I'm going to start at his birth, which, uh, well, his his uh, his infanthood. Um, in the hospital, in the not the ICU, in the neonatal unit. There's the, you know, the nursery where they put all the babies in their, what are they called? Like incubation chambers? So the, you, you just had a baby. That's, that's yeah, what they're no, called. Yeah, no, it's right? all chamber-based uh, yeah. terminology when you have a kid. Yeah, what are, what are those little, uh, you know, those those eggs that they put babies in? Incubation chamber, you got it. Um, So there's uh the, the nursery with all these babies, and the nurse goes back to, you know, do their, their normal rounds. Hey, there's a new baby here. Where'd this baby come from? This sweet little baby, you know, goes around. Hey, did anyone lose a baby? We got an extra baby here. <laughs> hey, anybody lose a baby? She's dangling it by its ankle, just uh, holding it up, <laughs> swinging it around the house. <laughs> hey, anyone looking for a baby over here? I got a baby for sale. I'm going to throw it out if no one wants it. 
And sadly, no one does want it. And it ends up in the orphanage. Aww. You might be saying it's 2019. Orphanages? Yeah, sorry. There is one. There's one left in the United States, and this baby goes to it. Uh, no, wait, that's not true. I want it to actually go to foster homes in this story. Never mind. The orphanage closes. Oh, no! Yeah, yeah the baby. kids! Yeah, this baby goes in. It's the only baby there. They decide to close the orphanage. He enters foster care. The thing is, it doesn't stay in one foster family for very long. Because there's something about this baby. It's really sweet. 90, 95% of the time, it's the calmest, most collected baby. But then it's just like, it's so happy and sweet. And then maybe it starts getting a little fussy. And then maybe it starts getting a little fussier. And then it becomes inconsolable. And it has this explosion of just like anger and uh, anger and pain for about five, ten minutes. And then it just... The baby's re- pain or it's like it's other yeah, people are feeling yeah. this? No, no, the baby feels this. Okay. The thing is, people love being around this baby. It generally, people just feel better around it. They feel happier. They feel healthier. They're just like, they feel enlivened by being with this baby, just holding the baby for five minutes. Sure, yeah. The thing is, their caretakers keep dying suddenly of uh, like sudden, sudden illness. And it kind of keeps jumping foster homes. What's happening with this baby is it absorbs the illness of people around it. it absorbs all the illnesses and ailments headaches and fevers and all these things and just kind of absorbs all the the sickness of people around it until it kind of builds to a critical mass and then it lets it all out onto one person with a temper tantrum wow mm-hmm. so this isn't quite a hero or a villain it's just a baby and i like to call it fever baby This might be your weirdest one yet. Oh, actually. it's or the okay. weirdest one yet. So is I, it, I just get... are, is every story going to be as a baby? Yeah, he's just a fever baby. He's not. So he's not a hero. He's not a villain. He's like uh, a, a force that probably the rest of the MMY universe will have to deal with. You know, like huh. he's he's kind of an outside force, an instigating force, and he's you know he's kind of chaotic neutral. We'd say. Um, Interesting. The, the the thing is that uh, I've had on our spreadsheet here for heroes and villains for a long time. I've had two words written down here. Tiny vampire and fever baby. Because once you like postponed recording because you said you had a fever baby. And I was like, oh man, that's a good idea for a, <laughs> a villain or a hero. Wow, okay. I've been, I've been holding onto that idea for a while. Till, till yeah. I had the right patron. And I thought Austin was was probably uh, game enough <laughs> to, to be to be a baby. <laughs> to, a <laughs> to, fussy be, baby. <laughs> to be a thoughtless fussy baby. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, okay. thank you. Thank you all so much for your backing. I hope those were satisfactory. And uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dave looks guilty. <laughs> yeah, those are those good. Um, yeah, thanks everybody. Uh, if you're interested in in, in your own uh, getting your questions in or you know ways to get in on the Hero and Villain Club, you can always go over to Patreon.com/slash/MyMarvelousYear for more. In the meantime, we're going to be back with 1974 comics next week. Part one and part two will be going out via the Patreon weekly update, via the Comic Book Herald email list, um, and of course you can always go over to MyMarvelousYear.com for a general direction on what the comics might be. But of course, as you know, patrons, people following the email club, um, anybody checking the show notes, those are the most up-to-date lists. So those are where we would recommend you find the comics we're reading for the club. Uh, Our music this week is by, and every week, is by Disasterpiece. You can (laughs) find his music. I like the idea of starting to do it that way. Like, we got got a new (laughs) one this week. (laughs) Our theme song this week is Disasterpiece. Yeah, yeah, that's that. My co-host this week is Dave Busing. Um, oh, just a little, just a little teaser. We got a guest coming up. 
I, uh, yeah, I just you. recorded a the guest first episode. MMY guest. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to say too much. Maybe a 1974's variant cover. I'll, I'll let a little more loose. But for 1975, part one, the uh, the Claremont, the beginning of Claremont and the return of X-Men, we got a, a pretty cool guest in. I think it's going to be a fun episode. So Yeah, I'm looking forward to what Chris has to say. Or excuse yeah. me, shouldn't have, shouldn't have called <laughs> yeah, that. Sorry. Yeah, God, that would be, that'd be cool. Um, well, maybe not because I was kind of down on his first couple issues. So uh, <laughs> have oh, him on just man. to trash his, his oh, appearance. Oh, man. Zach, uh, speaking the blasphemy. All right, oh, let's get out of yeah. here before you slander someone else. Yeah. <laughs> someone is another iconic creator yeah. of Marvel's history. Uh, yeah, thanks for everybody for listening. And, uh, you know, if uh, if you didn't want to die of malaria, then maybe you shouldn't have got sent back in medieval times. I'll just say that. All right? Yeah, so, fair enough. thanks, everybody. Enjoy the comics or whatever it is I say at the end of this show. Um, we'll see you see next year. See you next year. Having a hard time with that lately, huh? <laughs>